is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 99, The Snake Sacrifice. Last time, we tried to catch up with the events following the death of the Pandavas, but prior to the first recital of the Mahabharata at Janamajaya's snake sacrifice. All the political dimensions of the story seem to have dried up, and our tale takes on more of a mythological flavor, with kings and curses, gods and snake people. If you're curious about the snakes, well, so am I. The term that seems to be used most is Naga, which just means snake in Sanskrit. But obviously, the snakes we know do not arrange marriages with Brahmins or bribe rishis not to cure their victims of snakebite. These creatures are definitely some kind of mythological being with the traits of a snake but also possessing magical powers. At times, they behave just like people and must appear human-like, but at other times, they really seem to be just like a snake in appearance and behavior. The two Kuru protagonists, Parikshit and his son Janamajaya, seem to be mere pawns acting out their parts so certain curses and prophecies could be carried out. We left off with the doomed king Parikshit helplessly trying to avoid his fate by building a snake-proof palace up on a one-legged platform. Meanwhile, the snake Takshaka is gunning for him relentlessly. While the other snakes, already aware of where this is heading, have a nace up their sleeve in the form of their priestly cousin Astika. Parikshit has been cursed to die in seven days by snakebite, and many of the snakes have been cursed to die in Janamajaya's retribution. Astika is waiting on the sidelines to make sure that not all the snakes are killed in the process. Now it is time for the wheels of fate to grind through these characters and to produce our epic on the other end. We last saw the snake Takshaka on his way to Parikshit's sanctuary. Along the way, he met the sage Kashyapa and bribed him to go away. To the sage's credit, I should point out that it says he had clairvoyance and could see the future, and thus the king's fate was sealed. When the snake reached Hastinapur, he learned about the king's attempt to escape him. Being quite a magical snake, the king's architectural stratagems were not much of an obstacle for Takshaka. He got a couple of his snake henchmen to take on the appearance of ascetics and to bring gifts to the king. Doing as they were told, the lesser snakes went to the platform as holy men bearing gifts of fruit, grass, and holy water. Parikshit's guards let them pass on through to the king, to whom they offered their gifts. Parikshit received them, compensated them, and sent them on their way. When they had gone, he relaxed with his ministers and shared the gifts of fruit they had received. It was sundown of the seventh day since he had been cursed, so he's feeling like the danger was past. He'd survived, so he might as well celebrate. When he shared out the sweet fruit, I imagine it was mangoes, the king took one for himself. His fruit happened to contain a little worm. It was kind of cute, copper-colored, with two tiny black eyes. Parikshit held the worm between his finger and thumb and said, Day seven is over. The curse was a dud. Now I no longer need to fear poison. But let's not prove that hermit wrong. Here, I'll name this little worm here Takshaka and let him bite me so the prophecy shall come true. So saying, he laid the worm on his throat while his advisors laughed raucously. He was still laughing when the worm suddenly grew into an enormous snake that coiled around him. The advisors and ministers all fled the platform in a panic. When they turned around to look back, they saw the snake king shoot off into the sky like a meteor. Meanwhile, flames were spreading across the platform as if the snake's poison were like gasoline. Lastly, the king's body came plummeting to earth, charred and burnt as if struck by lightning. I wonder if Tachaka was a dragon. On the death of Arjun's great-grandson Parikshit, his young son Janamajaya was placed on the throne. Sometime later, the new king was found a wife from Kashi, Varanasi, named Vapastana. It says that from his wedding day he loved only her and had no interest in other women. 
The pair of them were inseparable, and together they enjoyed living in the country and enjoying a peaceful life. The story then shifts to the life of the Brahmin, Jarak Karu, where his backstory is retold. Remember, Jarak Karu is the unmarried ascetic whose ancestors were trapped in a cave until he could have offspring to make them offerings. Jarak Karu's only stipulation was that his bride have the same name as he. Kadru's second-born snake son, Vasuki, provided Jarkar with his wife for his sister. The Brahmin was sort of beyond the life of a householder, so he insisted that he should not be responsible for the upkeep of his bride, and he warned that if she should disobey him in any way, that he would send her home. Vasuki agreed to all his stipulations, and the pair were wed. It says that his wife was quite intimidated by her ascetic husband, and always did her best to obey and be serviceable to him. She was soon enough pregnant, and one day, while her husband lay sleeping, his head on her lap, she noticed that the sun was setting. Concerned that her holy husband might miss his chance to do the end-of-the-day rituals, she agonized whether to wake him up or let him sleep. As the sun was setting, she panicked and shook him awake. Jarkaru got mad and asked, Why did you wake me up? Now you gone and pissed me off. I shall send you back home to your brother. The snake woman was contrite. She said, I only wanted to preserve your virtue. I didn't mean any harm. Jarkaru replied, Silly woman, don't you know that as long as I was napping, the sun would not have set? But what I've said cannot be undone. It is time for you to go home. You've been a good wife, but now that time has passed. Let us move on. The girl was heartbroken and anxious for a reputation. She pleaded with him. If I have been without fault, then please don't send me away. What will people think if I am sent home by my husband? But the ascetic was adamant. He just reassured her that the boy she was now pregnant with was going to be a great rishi. So she should be content with that. Then Jarkaru left to resume his old ascetic lifestyle, while the female Jarkaru went home to her brother. Vasuki was concerned at first, but then delighted when he found out she was pregnant. In his house, she gave birth to the Brahmin Astika, where the boy was raised by the snake people. But her goose son Kyavana was made his tutor in the Vedas, and he soon grew up to be the great holy man that his father had predicted. The scene now shifts to the young king Janamajaya, some time after he came of age. He must have been really young when his father died, because he asked his ministers to tell him about his father. They said he was a good king. He doesn't seem very warlike, but he protected his subjects and upheld the law. When asked about the manner of his death, they told him the whole story of the curse. The only detail added is that he was in his sixties at the time of his death. The ministers told him about how the sage Kashapa had nearly arrived to save his father, but had been bought off by the snake. Janamajaya could not believe it. If only Kashapa had come in time, his father surely would have been saved. The ministers assured him that the story of the bribe was true. They said, you know that tree they roasted and then brought back to life? Well, when they did that, there was a servant in the tree gathering wood, and he too was roasted by the snake's venom. Then he was also revived along with the tree by Kashyapa. He heard the whole conversation and came and told us, so it's all true. King Janamajai was dumbstruck at the injustice and perfidy of the snake. In his tears he exclaimed, I understand that the Brahmin's curse had to be carried out, but then Kashyapa could have cured him. That snake Tukshaka did not need to bribe him like that. So I have resolved that I must now avenge myself on my father's enemy. The king then summoned his priests and asked them how he might get his revenge on the snakes. His priests opened their spell books and found a special ritual that would do just the trick. It was the snake sacrifice. 
the king endorsed their recommendation, and preparations were begun to set up the fire pit and platform for the ceremony. Everything was done with great care to make sure the ritual was effective. But one of the engineers, Asuta, who was acquainted with geomancy, observed that the time and place of the ritual was not ideal, and that the ritual would not go 100% smoothly. He predicted that a Brahmin would be the cause of the disruption. To make sure no outsiders could ruin his revenge, the king set up guards around the grounds to prevent strangers from entering. Soon the ritual was commenced with expert priests, clothed in black, pouring ghee into the flames while they chanted the mantras. And as the flame grew higher, the snakes of the world were teleported above the flames and then dropped into the fire one by one. Paralyzed and only able to cry out pathetically, snakes large and small in the tens of thousands plunged into the flames and died, all afflicted with their mother's curse. Soon there was a great stream of fat and blood flowing out of the fire, and the stink of it was unsufferable. Meanwhile, that wily Takshaka had heard of the king's revenge, and he ran to Indra for protection. Indra took him in, saying, You have nothing to worry about. I talked to Brahma about this, and he promised you'd be spared, so don't be afraid. As for the chief of the snakes, Vasuki, he was concerned not just for his own skin. He also felt bitterly the loss of each of the snakes who went down into the flames. Himself feeling the tug of the spell, he summoned his sister and told her it was time to send in her son Astika to save the day. Considering these dying snakes were his kinsmen, the Brahmin Astika obeyed his mother and rushed over to the site of that awful ritual. At first the boy was not allowed to enter, but then he delivered such a fine panegyric and a blessing on the king and his priests that he impressed them all and was allowed into the compound. The boy Astika was so well-spoken that the king was moved to offer him a gift anything he wanted, top shelf. The other priests warned the king, saying, This boy is quite clever, and like any priest, he deserves your respect. But hang on just a minute until we've grabbed on to Takshaka, then you may give him whatever he wants. Of course, impulsiveness is often a virtue with kings, and he did not listen to that advice. Addressing Astika, he said, What may I give you? Ask for anything. Meanwhile, the priests were reporting that they had found their target. Takshaka was with Indra, hiding in the god's shirt. Angrily, Janamajaya said, Then pour on the ghee. If the snake won't leave Indra, then bring Indra here too, and throw them both into the flames. We've seen before how a priest can force even Indra to attend to his rituals, so they pulled him right out of heaven and held the god over the flames. Indra did not like that one bit. Finally, he ditched the snake and fled, leaving Takshaka over the flames, ready for his doom. The priest said, We got him. Now, go ahead and grant that boy a boon. While Takshaka squirmed wretchedly above the flames, hissing and screaming, the king turned his attention back to young Astika. He said, What would you like, my boy? Gold? Silver? Cattle? Just ask. Astika said, No, thank you. I want none of that. I only ask that you stop this sacrifice so my mother's people may be saved. The king tried to dissuade him, but it was too late. He had no choice but to call off the sacrifice. The king took it pretty well. He accepted this as fate and decided to make the best of it while he had this eminent audience to hear the tale of his ancestors, the Mahabharata. If you want to know what was said, just jump back to episode 3 and work your way forward. There's one last thing I should say about the snake king Takshaka. That is, he does also make two appearances in the main body of the epic. Looked at chronologically, the first time the snake king makes an appearance is in the book of the assembly hall when Arjun and Krishna burned down the Kandava forest. 
At that time, the friends had gone out on a pleasure cruise, but they encountered a Brahmin, who was the fire god Agni in disguise. The god asked them to help him consume the forest, and they lit the fire and made sure no creatures could escape the blaze. This is a curious episode in the epic, but what concerns us now is that among the small handful of survivors from that holocaust was the snake king Takshaka. He was only able to escape with Indra's help, and many of his relatives were killed. You can imagine that this conflagration not only killed his kin and nearly killed him, but the land itself was taken away from him, as the Kandava forest was where he lived. I think it is safe to say that this wilderness was his kingdom, and he was deprived of that when the forest was converted to farmland and pasture for the kingdom of Indraprastha. Thus, Takshaka had an ancient feud against Arjun, and then later his descendants. The next time we see the snake is during the Great War, when Takshaka took the form of an arrow and had himself fired at Arjun. He was prevented by Krishna from getting his revenge at that time. So it seems obvious that the young Brahmin Sringa was aware of this ancient feud when he cursed Purikshit for insulting his father. He knew that the snake Tikshaka had an old grudge against Arjun and his descendants, so he just facilitated the snake's revenge. That also helps to explain Tikshaka's zeal for not only biting the king, but also ensuring that Parikshit died as a result. So that brings us full circle, back to the beginning of our tale. The very last part of this history is also the very beginning of the epic. Present at the recital of the Mahabharata was a bard named Ugrishravas, also called Sauti who then took the tale to a group of Brahmins living in the Naimisha forest, who were working on an elaborate 12-year sacrifice headed up by the priest Sanaka. It is this recital by the storyteller Sati that is recorded as the Mahabharata, and thus, at the end, we find ourselves at the beginning. I invite you to go back and listen to it all again. I'm sure there's more to be learned the more you revisit the story. I'd like to make a last comment before we go. Tradition states that during these final days on the platform, that Parikshit was visited by Vyasa, who told him not only this tale, but also the entire collection of the Puranas. Thus, traditionally, the first recital of the epic was to Parikshit and not at the snake sacrifice. I only want to point out that no mention of this long recital is made in the epic itself, although the Puranas are reported as having come from this week-long interview between Parikshit and Vyasa. That's all for now. This really ends the tale of the Mahabharata. Next time will be our 100th episode, so I'd like to try to sum up the entire story and explore what is in it and what is left out of it. I'd also love to answer any questions you might have, so please keep in touch and we'll go out with a bang on our 100th episode. Thanks for listening.